sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. I'm joined in studio today by Dr. Jason Heron. Hi, Jason. Hi, Chris. Uh, Jason and I are going to be talking today about a subject that he knows incredibly well himself and his story, his journey. Uh, I like every now and then to have a guest on to talk about their journey of faith. So that's what Jason and I are going to be talking about. Jason, why should anybody care about you and your story? <laughs> that's a very good question, Chris. Uh, I don't know the answer. Uh, I can make up an answer, though. Make one up. Make um, it good. I, uh, my life... My life is a witness to to God's goodness. So, oh. uh, any any time uh, you get to hear someone share that sort of witness, and I guess maybe every person's life is a witness to God's goodness. It's just whether we have the capacity to recognize it and talk about it. Uh, if you find someone who can recognize it and talk about it, then you should listen to that person, uh, not because of who that person is, but because what Ooh. God is doing in that person's life. Amen. So that's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. If you've never listened to the show before, again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, which is basically Eastern South Dakota. Um, been in that role since 2002, been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999. She's from Ohio. I'm from Central Minnesota, but all five of our kids are born and raised here in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Jason Heron. Who are you? I am married to Hannah. We've been married since 2002. We have six kids. And I teach theology at Mount Marty College, soon to be university. I just completed my third year there. Yankton, South Dakota. Yankton, South Down Dakota. Down the Missouri River, just across from Nebraska. That's right. That's right. Um, when I was growing up, there was uh, a greenhouse called X Arbon. Uh, went by almost every day in the summer on my way to my grandparents because I went to my grandparents almost every day in the summer. And Exarbon, Exarbon. And I don't know how I, how, I think I was probably at least junior high when I think one of my parents must have told me, my mom or dad must have pointed out to me, it's called Exarbon because the the owners were from Nebraska and it's Nebraska spelled backwards. Oh, oh. So if you yeah. ever, wonder how to, ever, ever wonder how to say Nebraska backwards, Exarbon. Exarbon, okay. Thank you. You're, so, for what that's worth, I don't. So, I'll forget one of the Psalms because I have to store that. Okay. Thanks. So, thanks. <laughs> Happy to help. Um, all right. So, Jason, you told us a little bit about who you are, but this whole podcast episode is basically what, what there was that show, Your Life, um, uh, back in before our time. You're a lot older than I am. Oh, so. Wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, tell us about you, Jason Heron. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, I grew up, um, well, I'm 39 years old. Okay. I, As so we're I'm, recording this in yeah. uh, mid, uh, 2020. Yeah. I'm, I'm a child of the eighties and nineties and, um, I grew up in the household of a Wesleyan pastor. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, the Wesleyan denomination is a teeny tiny 
evangelical denomination in the United States. I mean, it's got some little global presence, but it's a pretty tiny thing. Kind of uh, probably it's it's near a sibling among maybe more well-known traditions, probably be Methodism, right? Yeah, it comes from the Methodist uh, denomination. Um, it's very similar to Nazarene churches and uh, free Methodist churches. Um, so I grew up in the Wesleyan church. My dad was a pastor uh, and my grandfather was a missionary. My oh. grandparents were missionaries. And uh, also the, the Wesleyan church doesn't have bishops, but you of course always need someone to do the job of the bishop. So they are <laughs> called district superintendents. Yes. Uh, take all the mystery out of it. And uh, he was a district superintendent in the Wesleyan church for, for some years as well. So um, I'm, I'm a church boy. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a missionary. PK. Yeah, I'm a PK. Weird, weird people. PKs are weird people. <laughs> so, so I I grew up with uh, the knowledge of Christianity, the the reality of Jesus, um, like saturating my sure. my daily life. So that's that's the uh, the greatest gift that the people who formed me. Uh, that they've given me. Um, Jesus has always been real to me. Um, not just as a historical person, but mm. as a, like a, a, a person that I encounter in my, in my life. I, how, how'd that happen? I mean, I know part uh, of it, part of it, because part of this answer, well, it's grace. It's the grace of God. But I, what, what did your parents do? Because I, I know, speaking for myself, I think now for you as a parent of your six kids, probably trying to, whatever mom and dad did, I want to try to do that as well. How did that happen on mom and dad's side, just in a couple of minutes, as far as you either were aware or became aware since then? Maybe they brought out the secret recipe, the instruction manual. Yeah. Jason, just follow these yeah, steps yeah. and yeah. you'll get you. Yeah. So, so some of it is, yeah, it's, those are, that's a real complicated issue. It's all God's grace, but then it's partnering with my disposition and my parents' choices and their dispositions. And that recipe, uh, turned me out. So, um, how it worked. Like, did you, so I guess specifically, (laughs) what what are the, some of the, the practices that the Heron house, um, embodied? Right, so we were uh, encouraged to read scripture regularly. Uh, my parents modeled that for us, uh, then encouraged us to do it, and then we also did it as a family. I didn't have so my parents were really models of moderation in a lot of in a lot of ways. Uh, they would of course encourage us to read scripture, but there was never anything like punishment if you didn't read mm. scripture. Nothing like that, and certainly no reward if you did. You know, they didn't pay us to read scripture <laughs> or something like that. Uh, so they were they were pretty moderate, and I think very wise in, in this in this regard. They they lived lives of integrity. Uh, they were to the extent that they were able to be. They were coherent people. Mm. Um, me so coherent meaning like all together like my dad was my dad in every scenario of his life my mom was my mom in every scenario of her life and so i not the, anything remotely like two-faced 
Yeah. Where you see the, oh, look at the nice Christian couple, but behind the scenes, they're something completely different. Right. They they were who they they are, not just were, they are who they are. Yeah, there's not a lot of duplicity. I mean, we all have some duplicity in us, but there wasn't much much. duplicity in my parents. Not much guile in this this man and woman. And (laughs) this is alive and well today in the, the fact that I'm a very sarcastic person and they just can't. (laughs) <laughs> they can't, they can't keep up. They're, they're not, there's no irony in my parents. Right, right, there's just right, none. Right. Um, and so that makes joking with them an interesting task, but it also means that when I was growing up with them, what I saw was what you got, what was, what was real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so I saw some humans that I of course deeply respected my own parents who, uh, did not, um, pretend with regard to anything in the faith. Mm. There was no pretense. And that I think uh, for, so this is where my disposition comes in. So I'm like an INFJ or I'm a melancholy phlegmatic or I'm a four on the Enneagram. Like I'm obsessed with authenticity. Okay. I hate fake. Mm. Not because I chose to be that way, but that's just kind of my makeup. It, It makes me feel really uncomfortable mediocrity and, and fakeness make me feel real uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and I grew up with parents who were not fake. Right. And that, I think that means a lot for a person like me who's obsessed with authenticity and, and really cannot trust something. If I think that there's, there's pretense or duplicity. Um, so it was a real mercy to have parents, a kid like me to have parents like that. Like so you um, encouraged, um, mo- it was modeled for you in how to read, sc- or to, to read scripture. What else did the Heron household do in terms of practices? Uh, we prayed together, prayed a lot. Did you pray on your own? Uh, I don't remember. That may sound like a weird thing to say. I mean, my parents, we would have like, we call them family dev- devotions. We'd sit around and read scripture and pray together or mm-hmm. read some other book and pray together. And um, I'm sure that I like prayed. I know my parents prayed with me before bed and before meals and that kind of thing. Right. And then later when, you know, eventually your parents stopped tucking you in. I don't, I don't remember if I prayed or if not. Okay. So even in high school, you don't know, recall, recall I, whether or not. I don't, I don't know. What my dad you? probably knows if okay. I prayed or not because okay. my dad has like this steel <laughs> trap memory, All right. but he got all the memory for the rest of the family. Okay. Um, I can't remember anything. Okay. So I, but that's not to say that somehow in high school, I lost a sense that Jesus was a real person that I encountered. I don't, I did not. Okay. I did not. So, so it's always been there for you. Just been maybe moments of quickly increasing depth, but uh, just over time increasing depth. Yeah, I would say. Okay. Increasing depth in terms of my engagement with the person of Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, Combine that with, uh, you know, I'm a person obsessed with authenticity, uh, an increasing disillusionment with evangelicalism in America. Oh. So that's the other part of the story. I have these guileless, honest, Jesus-loving parents. Right. But we're in a culture that I, I (coughs) I can't be at home in. As soon as I could be disgruntled, <laughs> I was disgruntled. You know, I so I wasn't like a seven-year-old playing tag 
and complaining about American evangelicalism. Sure. But when it was possible for me to complain about American evangelicalism, I started complaining. You are listening to Ignition. <laughs> we, I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, your host, talking about the once disgruntled, talking with the once disgruntled Jason Heron, Dr. Jason Heron, theology professor at Mount Marty University down in Yankton, South Dakota, about his journey of faith. So um, summary, I'd say so far, you were raised in the Wesleyan tradition by, uh, your dad was a pastor. Um so you're a you you are a well we're a PK pastor's kid. Um, always Jesus was always very real to you. Prayed as a family. You were encouraged to read scripture. Um, authenticity is important to you. Your parents are people without guile. When you could, however, become disgruntled um, at the state of American evangelicalism, you did, which was I'm guessing not high school or what did it start in high school? It started in high school. It did. Yeah, I I was. Uh... I'm by disposition. I'm not a conservative. I'm okay. just not a conservative person. Uh, I don't mean uh, that to. It shouldn't mean any more to our listeners than than what I mean it to mean. Which is, I'm just not afraid of new things. I like surprises. I like unexpected connections. I like difference. I like to be challenged, and so it's not natural for me to close in to protect. Okay. The sure. borders. Yep. To, uh, to circle the wagons. Circle the wagons. Throw up the walls of the castle. Uh, drawbridge? I don't know. Um, raise the drawbridge. Raise the drawbridge. There you go. So, but uh, American evangelicalism, if its heyday was the 80s, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. By the 90s, you're already starting to see, ah, uh, okay, we got to circle the wagons. Right. Starting to see that. Um, and... I just, I didn't fit in very well with that spirit. I'm too curious. I'm too, uh, yeah, I'm too curious. Okay. So this manifested itself. I can make this concrete. This manifested itself in music. Mm. Music is very important to me. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm listening to music constantly. Uh, I have very promiscuous tastes when it comes to music. I mean, any genre, I'll bring it all. I love it all. Um, and I, 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 you know, Isaiah Berlin says there's, there's foxes and there's hedgehogs, people yep. who scatter about and people who burrow down. Yep. I do both when yep. it comes to music. Okay. Um, and my evangelical culture would try to get me to listen to Christian music. Oh uh, yeah. Especially I, contemporary Christian Christ, music. Yeah. CCM. Yep. yep. And I would listen to that and I would say, this sucks. Uh, because artistically. This is, this is a gross yeah. shadow copy. Yeah. Yeah. Of something made by the culture that we're supposed to despise. Yeah. Outside of the circle of the wagons. Why are we copying that and doing such a terrible job if we believe that we have the most beautiful truth that's ever been given to humans? And this is what we come up with? A sad copy. And so I'm remember I'm obsessed with authenticity. Uh, and this just seems so fake. Okay. Now, I'm only a high schooler. I don't understand. You know, music is not everything. Like, right, right. this is not like a reason to change your life necessarily. Right. But it set me on a journey looking for something different where there could be the sort of coherence that I found, the integrity I found in my parents mm. in the culture, more broadly speaking. Because from my perspective, looking back, the integrity and the coherence of my parents and the culture of our household was not matched by 
or was not repeated at the level of like evangelical broader culture. Sure. Right. Okay. So I, I'm on a journey then All right. at this point, get to college, go to a small evangelical college, great academic experience there, great collegiate experience there, great friends, meet Hannah there, my wife, best thing, second to Jesus, best thing that ever happened to me, meeting Hannah. And um, so I'm profoundly grateful for that, but it just still is increasing the, the disillusionment. Uh, partly because I arrived at that school and like any college student gravitated to like-minded friends mm-hmm. and discovered lo and behold, there's other disgruntled evangelicals and we're all here together mm. wondering why we're here. We all dislike the same things about being evangelical. We're all thankful for a lot of the same things about being evangelical. And now we don't know what to do. Um, I left, graduated and, and started studying What'd English. What'd you study? Oh. What did you say as undergrad? Uh, creative writing and literature. Okay, uh, that's that's an important detail too. I don't I don't have it. I guess in me to make uh, rational career decisions. <laughs> so I just kind of you know th- that sense of uh, I've got a real sense of like pilgrimage. I've I got to get to this thing. That's my disposition. I'm on on the way somewhere, and were, I'm working on it. Were you uh, when did you get married in relation to college graduate undergrad graduation between my junior and senior years. So you got married presumably at that point intending to have children. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, w- yeah, yeah, we wanted, yeah, we definitely wanted kids. I mean, we didn't have like a real plan. Right, away, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and your plan was to be a, what to feed these little ones. I had no came. plan. No Chris. plan. This whatsoever. is one of the privileges oh my of gosh. my disposition. What, what, what's your Myers Briggs type again? Did you say? INFJ. Oh man. Yeah. J though, a judger. I expect yeah, more from I mean, a judger. Yeah. But, okay. Anyway. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, the I'm F, obsessed uh, with. INF, did you say? INFJ. Okay. okay. Yeah. ENTJ. Maybe it's the T. Anyway. In yeah. The, all right. Anyway, um, so. so yeah, I had no plan. No, no plan. plan. Creative writing and literature is the, and then you were going on to grad school. It sounded like you yep. were going to say. Studied at the University of St. Thomas up in St. Paul. My wife worked as a nurse at the Mayo Clinic. And while we were there, things really started to fall apart for us uh, in terms of our faith. Oh. Um, Where'd you, can, can I ask where you went to undergrad then? Oh, Indiana Wesleyan University. Indiana Wesleyan. Yeah, in Marion, high Indiana. School, I'm, I am much older than you, as you established in a previous episode. Um, a high school, my best, best friend in high school went to Indiana Wesleyan. Oh, yeah. He lost his faith, but that's another oh, story. Yeah. There's <clears> a, yeah, there's a lot to say about, about that, but... Um, so you go to St. You're studying Saint, at St. Thomas in St. Paul, St. Minnesota. Thomas. Yep. Yep. And um, we have our first kid there, mm. which, you know, anyone who's had a first kid <laughs> knows that that is a life shattering event in a good way. You know, you, you most of us need to have our life shattered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really had a sense that we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. We have this new kid. Some things were happening um in my wife's family and in my extended family that really were rocking the boat. Okay. And um, I had encountered in the curriculum in the English department um, a whole philosophical world that I hadn't been exposed to as an evangelical. And I really wanted to know more about it, but I also recognized that that, that world was in many ways detached from faith in Christ. Mm. And I thought my my faith in Christ has to have something to do with all of this that I'm learning, but I don't know how to make that connection. So I decided to enroll in a 
Methodist seminary, not to become a pastor, but just to study theology. Okay. And it was at that Methodist seminary, Asbury Seminary down in Wilmore, Kentucky, that I uh, started reading the Church Fathers. And who are what, what, Church Fathers meaning your, uh, your dad? <laughs> yeah. Uh, St. Augustine, St. Irenaeus, St. Athanasius, St. Gregory Nyssa, St. Gregory Nazianzus. So the great writers, most of them saints of the first six, seven centuries of Christian history. Right. Um, I got immersed in church history. Um, I took amazing classes with Dr. Lester Ruth, uh, for whom I'm... I'll always be grateful. And he introduced me to the history of the sacraments and the liturgy. And if you're a kid looking for integrity and coherence, oh. and you realize that there is a liturgical culture in which the baptism of a person in 2006 roughly resembles the baptism of a person in the year 300. Oh, authenticity, consistency. That's really striking. Mm. You're, I'm lo- I'm finding a, a culture, a people, the church, that is, of course, riddled with sin and and as fallible and and messed up as the rest of us, but that has maintained us a, a startling integrity over time, and has a beautiful and coherent way of speaking to culture. Um, that I I was missing all of that in mm. evangelicalism. And so while I was never like thinking I don't I don't know if I can believe in Jesus anymore. I never really thought that. I don't think I definitely thought I don't know what I need a church for. Like what are mm. all these Christians for? And in encountering the history of the church, especially the history of the liturgy and the sacraments, it became clear to me that oh, I do I do need the church. In fact, the church is a gift to me, and I can become a part of that uh, consciously, openly, with pride, uh, with love and gratitude, uh, and become just a a grateful member of something larger than myself. And that's hard for an evangelical, I think, especially an American evangelical, right? Uh, to wrap the mind around at first. So we've only got five minutes left, so I don't want to dwell too much time on this. But uh, the seminary was the name of the seminary? Asbury Theological Seminary. What tradition is it? United Methodist. Method. Okay. Yeah. And Methodism and Wesleyanism, not liturgical uh, traditions, are they or are well, they? Well, there there's a lot of there's a lot of variation okay. in the United Methodist Church. Of course, any any group of Christians that gets together yeah. once a week is going to have some, some liturgy, yep. Yep. even if it's just donuts and whatever. But um, there, there's some higher and some lower okay, ends of, of okay. liturgical practice in okay. Methodism. So we'll talk about the rest some other time because I don't want to. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so you start reading the Church Fathers, and oh, there is, I, I, I do need the church. In fact, it's a gift to me mm-hmm. then. Yeah, and I encounter some, I encounter Thomas Aquinas and then, uh, more contemporary uh, theology that really emphasizes the importance of the church, the reality of the church, the historical and the theological reality of the church, rather than, you know, I grew up uh, being trained to think of the church as 
essentially another like league that you could be a part of if right. you wanted to. Not because anyone thought to teach that, but that's just the way it was. Yep. I got that by osmosis. Yep. And um, a voluntary association. Yeah, voluntary association. So getting that out of my imagination. Yeah, as opposed and, to what? The reality of the church being not uh, a voluntary association, but the 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 mediator uh-huh. between me and my Lord. Mm. A necessary because mediator. the church is his body. Right. Right. So for you as a member to be joined to the head, you need the rest right. of the body. Right. Okay. Right. So an essential part of the story of being a Christian. The uh so um there's a <laughs> Uh, we we tried to do Latin in the last episode, but I'm going to do some of this one. A tertium quid, mm-hmm. a third thing. Many people experience at a certain level, the church is a third thing between me and Jesus in a negative way. I want to get this thing out of the way. I want to have the relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But the reality here is, no, the, Jesus, the church isn't a third thing in the way. It's the means, it's the mediator between me and him because it's his body. Right. So if we were to get rid of uh, mediation, yeah. we would also need to assume that we were uh, worshiping a God that we do not find in scripture, a different God from what we right. find in scripture. Right. This, this God works through created means right, and accommodates himself <clears throat> to us through those created means. Um, so I definitely grew up with the, I want an unmediated, I was told to want that, an yep. unmediated relationship to God and to distrust mediation, which is a deeply anti-Jewish thing. Yep. Anti-biblical, frankly. Anti-biblical. Um, and very troubling once I could recognize it. Yep. Mediation is beautiful. It is the method that, that God has chosen. Uh, it's, uh, I almost said adequated, but only you and I would use that word. <laughs> uh, it's, it's accommodated to us, assimilated to us, our needs. Right. And so the church is essential uh, to my relationship to Christ because it's the means by which he has chosen to encounter me and to love me. Um. And it took me a long, you know, it took me a long time to arrive at that. But when I f- started to see it, I could recognize how it um, addressed a lot of the questions and the concerns that had been percolating for me for a long time since, you know, high school. Because what were your parents who raised you in the faith, as we described earlier, but mediators of that right, faith? Right. Mediation is everywhere. Yeah. The idea that you would be afraid of mediation is yeah. is troubling. So in the minute we have left, how'd you become Catholic? <laughs> uh, uh, and I was sitting on the back porch with my friend and I looked over him and I said, do you think we should become Catholic? And he shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, probably. And then we talked to our wives and then in at Easter Vigil 2009, our two families came into the church wow. together at, at St. Luke's Parish in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Kentucky. And you would go on to earn a doctrine in theology. We're going to have a part, have to have a part two to your story, Jason, because I'm getting older, we're just, got, there's more content. Just, there's yeah. gotta, I, I trust there's more after your entrance into the Catholic <laughs> no, church. I haven't, I haven't been doing much Nothing. since. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but just I, I frankly, um, well, well, we might not have a part two. I, I'll have you back whether you do part two or not. Um, 30 seconds takeaway for our audience from this part of your story. Oh, geez. Uh, the search for authenticity is, is scary. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, I think a beautiful, a beautiful journey. Maybe I'm only saying that because of my disposition is obsessed <laughs> with authenticity though. This is my tendency to undercut myself when people oh. ask me to yeah. 
give a takeaway. There we go. Yeah. Uh, I think it's beautiful. Thank you for having, for being on. Thank we'll you. have you back. Thanks. All right. And today that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us ignition at sfcatholic.org, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>